this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Okay. Welcome to Feature Creep. Colon. Built-in microwave. Semicolon. Consider the context. Great. Um, yeah, consider the context. So uh, this podcast, we're going to kind of look at that that idea of considering the context. Um, so uh, I, I, I think we should start with this quote from John Muir. Um, so he wrote in his writings called My First Summer in the Sierras, which was written in 1911, he wrote this quote. When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. I like that quote. Yeah, I really like that quote as well. I think it, um, I, I think it really kind of establishes like the importance of of kind of everything being interconnected and why it's important to think about things in the context of why you're doing them, what you're doing, where you are. Totally. You know, um, it it's funny because it's funny when I like just now when I think about this, um, this idea of considering the context and like that being like such an important act, like something that's really important to have front of mind whenever you're doing anything. Uh Um, I just think of like all the times that people have been taken out of context for various reasons. Sure. Um, And I think it occurs to me that considering the context is maybe why uh, I find it so easy to recognize like advertising versus say, yeah. um, Yep. I imagine many people will have this experience like the generation before it's like my father has a harder time navigating that his experience of the internet is very different than mine. Um, when he watches me do, uh, you know, searches on the internet for things, he, he's always amazed at how quickly I move through and like throw out results and things Really, because he has a hard time. I think, I don't know what it is, but if I, if I could sum it up, I would say he's not considering the context the way I am. Is it because he doesn't have a, so it takes him longer. So he does a Google search for anything. Is it like a dialect thing though? Like when he's looking through the, the number of results that pop up is his, did he point out that you can sift through them a lot quicker than he can? Yeah. It's because you speak the dialect of the internet. Yes. But it's part of that is because I can consider the context, right? Right. I look at everything and I can quickly place it in context and say, Oh, okay. This domain, I can already see the snippet of what's being said there. I can immediately recognize whether this is, um, you know, fluff information or trying to grab me away from what I'm actually looking for. Um, whereas for him, it takes him a lot longer. He often follows like the first couple of links and he's looking through before, you know, he's, he's reading whole other websites before he realizes that he's being led down a garden path about, right. you know, something that is irrelevant to what he's trying to find out sure. or completely false information. Um, that's, yeah, I mean, it, it is a, like a dialogue thing, but that, but that is the thing, right? It's about considering the context. Yes. And for him, it's something that it, it, it's not, me just saying, Hey, consider the context dad isn't going to solve it. Like he needs it. That's sure. something he needs to learn. But, um, you know, and then even in the statement, like I'm considering the context, if he grew up in a different time, he has a different, the people who are creating these websites and that they're more of my generation and where they're more in touch with what I'm thinking about 
or I'm more in touch with what they're thinking about and more easily able to sift through the bullshit. Yes. And realize it's like, no, all these people want money. No, here's a thing that's factual. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway. Um, that's fascinating. I think. Because uh, I like reading headlines, right? Yeah. You know, when you're when I pull up a news feed, headlines are a perfect example of where you need to consider the context. Sure. And I don't mean the context of you need to consider the context of if that's an outrageous headline, what they're trying to do is capture your attention and yeah. get you interested and <clears throat> follow through and read their content mm-hmm. regardless of what that content is. Right. So are you, I'm, I, you probably are thinking at on several levels at any given time. Like when I read a headline, I'm thinking about the actual words that they use to describe the general concept at work in the headline. Like mm-hmm. for instance, you could say, um, you know, burning building uh, collapses and kills 10. Right. But if you don't say in the headline that it was arson, the the meaning becomes completely different. Right. 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 Or you could use language that I a thing that really jumps out at me is language that's meant to make you feel a certain way. Yes. Emotionally manipulative language. Right. That's like non-factual that just has things that are either like really obviously bad like Mm. i don't know using a like racial slur in a headline would would be very obvious to a lot of people right um but there's also lots of things that are much more subtle than that that will give you clues as to the intent of the the writer or the position that they're taking or Mm -hmm. something like that before you even have to dive into the actual text of the right article right um so like things like that uh in language that's embedded in other language that is like raises a red flag for me for some reason is one of the most obvious ones I can think of. Sure. Yeah. But, all, and, and to kind of keep it in the context of what we're talking about, yeah. which is considering the context, that's, um, that's one of the struggles of, of thinking and like just being a human and navigating our current world. Right. It's, it's yeah. just constantly being, um, constantly working through the deluge or the like the onslaught of people vying for your attention in various ways or or entities i should say you know you've got um i mean the internet is this like hyper experience of that where it's just constant influx of advertising and people trying to get your attention for for your attention right i mean social media is just like this amazing advertising platform and it's just this weird like like when you consider the the context of it um <laughs> it, it, like when you consider the context of it now it, what it serves a corporation is to make money and so they're yeah. to their advantage is to find any way to leverage your use of that platform in a way that makes them money right um and they do that exceptionally well but it's hard to consider the context of what it means to like sit there and stare at a social media platform all day long or even an hour a day and realize like what you're actually giving up yeah and it's not even the the context isn't just, they don't care whether they, the context of the platform is not to care about you or the, their interest or the interest of the platform is to capture your attention. Right. And then to serve advertising to you. Right. Which they then get paid for. Yeah. And so anyway, they can do that. And then advertisers, obviously their intention is to serve ads to you that then lead you to 
paying them money in some way, mm-hmm. whether it's buying a service or, or giving them something else that they can trade on, whether that's money or information or. Yeah. They're always asking you to spend money on something. Right. And so it's, it's like this weird, subtle exhaustion that you can kind of experience of just like yeah. giving all of this, all your time and attention because you, you know, they're, they're really highly sophisticated algorithms to get people to stare at that stuff all day long. Yes. It works really well. I mean, people, and when you look at, um, when you look at people who work in that industry, whether they're making YouTube videos or like we're making this podcast, um, anything where you're trying to sell a product, your intent is to try and get as many people as possible to listen to it or to participate in it so that you can make money. Yeah. I can't remember where I saw this. Oh man. I can't attribute the quote cause I don't remember the exact quote and I don't remember who said it, but I read it. So it was in print. It was maybe, maybe on Instagram or something like that. But sure. it was uh, the gist of it was anytime that I have an emotion about my appearance or something that I'm supposed to be doing, uh-huh. the question that I immediately ask is who profits from this emotion that I'm having? Right. Which is like, I, uh, contextualizing things requires you to ask a lot of questions of what's going on at any given time. Mm-hmm. And if you, approach that process with judgment as opposed to curiosity. It's Mm -hmm. exhausting because you're like, who am I supposed to be mad at? Who am I supposed to be upset at? What should I be outraged about? What, what are the things I should care about? And like that, uh, that approach is itself like decontextualized. I think like Mm -hmm. you can't be upset about things that you're unaware of, or at least it's not very productive. Right. Um, And uh, like, I tend to get upset about things before I have, all the information. And most of the time, if I'm successful, I withhold whatever intuitive judgments that I have until I actually ask the questions with curiosity. And I Uh find that I'm much less disappointed on the back end because I don't suffer from confirmation bias every time I'm upset about something that right, right. It turns out I should be upset about right. Um, the, the, the direction of that process is different for me when I approach things with curiosity as opposed to judgment. Right. But, that's like, I mean, I think that's the only way that you can not get burned out if you're trying to understand the context of what's going on around you at all times, which I argue is better than not trying to understand it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the idea. Like, you right. want to know what's going on so you can make informed choices about your own existence, sure. right? Right. So then you have to, in order not to give yourself adrenal rage <laughs> burnout. Right, right. And I, yeah, I mean, be I... Be curious. <laughs> it, it's also... I imagine that process is different for everybody and it should be some, I mean, it shouldn't be emotionally latent is kind of the point. So if you're finding that you're really stressed about whether you're considering the context about something, then you're not actually, I I mean, who am I? Like, maybe that's your process and that's how you do it. But I I would imagine. Yeah, we clearly speak for everybody. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. The one thing anybody likes is to be told how how to do do your life. Um, <laughs> how to do your life. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that um, it, it hopefully is something that's not, it's less taxing. It should be rewarding for you in its own right. And it shouldn't be yeah. about meeting your own expectations about what the content is that you're trying to discover. It should just be the joy of having successfully the discovered of the, process, the process of discovery. Right. Sure. So new information. Yeah, has, has come, come to light, <laughs> man. Man, you should. <clears throat> right. Um, the 
there's a do we want to talk about chesterton's guns yeah so let's get back to the context of this discussion <laughs> um i I found this really fascinating when I first read about this and I don't remember exactly what I was, you know, I went down a Wikipedia hole of some kind and at some point I was, (laughs) you know, it was so, remember when meta was a thing? Yes. So it felt very meta. I mean, at this point I was reading about Wikipedia about itself Um, and that's when I discovered that. Oh, so recursive. Yeah. It was wonderful. And one of the things that I discovered was some, um, some discussions about, being a Wikipedia editor and contributing. And um, that's when I stumbled across Chesterton's fence, which is uh, it's a very brief essay. Pers- mm. I, it's very short, but it's essentially um, someone's opinion about uh, opinion in the sense that it's not very factual. It's like a, it's a, a, it's a very considered opinion. I'm not yeah. trying to say this isn't sound advice. It's just, it's not like some maxim. It's right. Yeah. It's not this, the, the earth is round or well, that's debatable. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> spheroid oh, of some kind, right? Yeah. Um, I think we can all agree that we live on it. We live on it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> what I was getting at is that, um, <clears throat> Chesterton's fence is, uh, well, you have, um, yeah, so yeah, it's please. a quote. Uh, the idea of Chesterton's fence is a quote um, from a man named G.K. Chesterton, Gilbert Keith Chesterton. He was born in 1874 and he died in 1936. And he wrote a a little essay or like a he wrote a. Yeah, I think it was a book actually. Oh, but this is book. an excerpt okay. from the. There, this is just a. So the the oh it is it was a book he wrote in 1929 called titled The Thing, mm-hmm. um, and the section the quote itself illustrates the importance of understanding context before taking action. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, to dismantle something that doesn't have an immediate obvious purpose, but. If you pay attention to context and ask the right questions, you may discover that it does, in fact, serve a purpose that you were heretofore unaware of, mm-hmm. not that it doesn't serve a purpose and therefore it should be gotten rid of. Right. So um, do you have the? Yes. Uh, here, let me read the quote. Um, okay. So uh, as we just said, Chesterton, Chesterton writes, in the matter of ret- reforming things as distinct from deforming them, There is one plain and simple principle, a principle which will probably be called a paradox. There exists in such a case a certain institute or law, let us say, for the sake of simplicity, a fence or gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this. Let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then, when you have come back and and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. So, um, you know, as we've been talking about, the point is is that if you're not considering the context, just wantonly removing things that mm-hmm. are in your more immediate way, yeah, might actually serve a purpose. I mean, it's kind of, it, you know. I, 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 like I envision basically me being like, I want to remove the stop sign down at the end of my street because I never go in any other direction other than across that street right. to where I want to go. Mm-hmm. But the context, obviously, when you consider the context and the reason that there's a stop th- sign there is because there's traffic coming the other way. Sure. Right. And so, yeah, there's a reason for it. Someone needs to stop. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, and and the kind of the Chesterton's fence in the context of what we were talking about, or how I discovered this in the context of Wikipedia, they often mm-hmm. talk about this being a guiding principle if you're going to recommend things be deleted or changed in an article in a major way, or you're recommending certain edits. Um, argue for those edits in the context of understanding why it was written the way it was or the policy is Mm -hmm. in place the way it was. And then place your argument in the context of understanding why it was there and why now it might need to be removed because, say, that no longer applies or... Mm -hmm. It's irrelevant. It's it's irrelevant. Right. Or or there's something else. There's some other better solution, et cetera, et cetera. All of which is fine Mm -hmm. as long as you did your homework and realized that that was the case. Right. And you're not just doing it uninformed right exactly yeah Yeah. i like that i think uh i think that context is probably overlooked an awful lot like i'm just kind of i'm sitting here if you could see my face i'm kind of like staring at the ceiling like i'm just thinking of the number of times Uh uh-huh that this has caused a problem that I either bore witness to or was directly impacted by. Right. I was say, like, I'm thinking like I'm like, sitting here trying to rack my brain, trying to come up with any time where someone's very successfully considered the context. Right. Oftentimes, most of the sort of discussions and conflicts arise from someone not considering the context. Right. And, you know, I mean, we live in a world where it's understandable there's a lot to consider. Um, you know, if we kind of go back to that John Muir quote where yeah. he's basically saying everything is interconnected. Mm-hmm. You can't kind of pull something out of the context of its existence in reality yeah, because it, it informs and changes everything around it, as does everything around it inform and change it. Yeah. Um, and so it becomes really quickly overwhelming if you're just going to say, well, I have to consider everything. How is this going to impact that one person over there living in Australia? You know, it, it's... Um, because the problem is we don't live in a linear system. We live in a nonlinear system. Right. And so, um, you can't, you can't know the full out, you know, the full, the full effect of something of, of your actions or, you know, you, but, but it is important to, to at least have thought in the direction of the context. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause if you don't, if you don't bother, if you know that you should, if you mm. know that there's context that you haven't bothered to check into, mm-hmm. then you're in the wrong. Right. This it, is like a responsibility if, that I think everybody just kind of has. If, I mean, you can't, yeah, you're, you're in the wrong. It, if you, you might, were, you might be arguing for the right choice, but you're doing it right, by accident. Right. But that's purely incidental. Right. That's not making you, you're not, and no. you're doing a disservice to the rightness of the thing right? by not backing it up and allowing other people to see the context of it and realize why, oh, this is important because of this, because right. of this context. Yeah. Um, you know, arbitrary decisions don't always work out very well. Yeah. It is also, I, I think politically it's very difficult to put forward the context. It's hard to have a long conversation because we do live in that world of this quick sound bites. Yeah. Politically also... <laughs> Like, I don't want to cut you off. Say what you're going to say. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, if we're leading policy by writing tweets on Twitter that are limited to, what is it, 160 characters or something? I mean, even with the 
you know, expanded limit of 320 or I can't remember what there was yeah, something that there were, it, or, you know, the 15 linked, you know, extended tweets that are all linked together. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's so hard to write something and put, put enough effort into it to give it context. And then no one has time to also then read and consider the context. Yeah. Or no one is, no one is taking the time whether you have it or not. And then it's assumed that you don't have the time. And so there's no, there's nothing left to gain context from something. You just kind of get this very inflammatory message. Yeah. And I don't think like it's impossible to have an informed opinion on everything. Right. But anytime that you commit something to print, like for instance, on the internet, you're taking a position on something, whether you realize it or not, because somebody could come back and be like, Hey, I don't like that thing you said, or sure. What you know, that's just like a really superficial basic right. example. But like then you're forced into a position of having to say either, well, I didn't think about it before I said it, or I did think about it and now I have to defend what I said, or yeah. I did think about it and I've changed my mind since then. Right. But like I think that's uh but maybe part of the problem is that everyone now has a platform and they're expected to be experts on anything that they decide to mention yeah, and be in a position to defend the statement that they made. Right. Like, or what are you supposed to do? Just not post shit online. I mean, that's what I do, but uh, yes, I mean, because yeah. I refuse to be right. I mean, it's like why we're never going to actually publish this podcast. It's just right. going to live on a hard drive somewhere. It's going to live on a hard drive. Or one audience will listen to it occasionally and we're going to shoot it in shoot. a rocket into outer space. <laughs> right. We'll pu- we'll publish it post posthumously. Posthumously, thank yes. you. Really struggling with also language I mean, today. Yeah, and like I want to also throw out this idea that I had that yes. has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but just made me think of like putting things in rockets. Uh huh. I think we need to solve the problem of there not being enough wigs on Mars, like ahead of that problem, and Would so. You- I mean, that's a problem now, as far as I can see, because it is a problem. There I, are no wigs on Mars. I, I would put good money on on it that there are no wigs on Mars. There are no. There's not even one wig on Mars, nope. like a dusty, crappy one that someone put on backwards. That's not even. Nope. There's not even like a toupee. Not even a toupee. There's not even like a tumbleweave. A tumbleweave. It's just that just, planet is hairless. That planet is hairless, fake or otherwise. Fake or otherwise. And yeah. I just feel like. We need to do something about this before it becomes a full-blown crisis and like there's actually people living on Mars without wigs. I don't disagree with this. I actually, I think that, um, I think people might actually wig out if they realized how wigless yeah. Mars is at this moment. This is, I want to contextualize this. Now, the good news is that we have like 30 to 50 years to solve this problem. Yes, I do agree. I, I mean, I think it will be rough for uh, early pioneers. Well, if we can get ahead of the problem, then they will not have to go wigless. Yeah. And people in the future, our future selves will be like, thank goodness of all the problems we've got on this crazy planet Mars, the wigs are not one of them. Right. Be like it was a so problem, but we solved it. A long this time is the ago. funny thing. I, you'd mentioned this earlier and I, I can imagine people are listening to this and they're like, okay, they've lost the plot. They're insane. This is crazy. But right. think there's real reasons for having wigs on Mars. Fuck yeah. um, I mean, there's some like really like, let's just gloss over some of the more obvious ones. Okay. So um, being in space and being on Mars, you have a huge exposure to radiation, which means of course, cancer is going to be way more prevalent. 
Right, unless we figure out some way to circumvent that problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a separate issue. But my point being is Wait. that even, even, yeah, so even with, um, even with some of the solutions that are currently out there that might reduce the risk of cancer, people, the risk, the, the rate of cancer in a population is going to go up. If you're living on yeah. Mars, you're going to have a higher rate of cancer of different kinds. Yeah. Which means, assuming that we continue down the current treatments of cancer, radiation, chemotherapy, hair loss. I think, yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to wigs, wigs being important. Wigs are important. I mean, I, if people are thinking, oh, well, astronauts don't care. They'll be bald. Yes. We're not talking about astronauts. We're talking about normal, mar, normal population living on Mars. Yeah. Having lives, growing up, going to school, having children, wanting to shop, wanting to dress in the latest fashion, doing whatever. Wigs. wigs. It's not, a, it's not, my point being is it's not unreasonable. No. So, um, also, they don't take a, a lot of tar- cargo space and they don't weigh very much. So they really don't No, And I, I mean, there's a lot of solutions there. I mean, I can imagine, um, you know, people developing a wig industry there. Um, if you have people living there, people are growing hair, right? at least when they first arrive. Yeah. Um, as that changes, it would, might be nice to have, have a wig of your own hair. It would be good to have your own hair in a wig, you know, just in case. Just in case. So. Right. Right. Um, space wigs. Space wigs. Yeah. Seems absurd. Not unreasonable. Not unreasonable. Anyway, if you consider the context, Just, it becomes a little more actual. Right. Actual. Right. So. Yeah. I think. All right. We've got that one handled. We'll let yeah. you know when we've actually set up the foundation. Yep. You can send your money for space wigs. For space wigs. Yeah. You'll be helping a lot of people in 2050 out. Yeah. Possibly your own offspring. It could even be you. Could even be you. Oh, speaking of which, yeah. it could be you because do you know about the little nanobots that they made? No. Oh, man. I mean, I know about some nanobots. I so don't know about, I'm not sure. There's little biological ones now. Okay. They're little biological machines. Yeah. And they've got like a tiny, tiny little like circulatory system and uh-huh. they are programmed to basically like become inactive or like run out of th- so okay they're made out of biological material okay they're very small yeah like very very small uh-huh. but they like have cellular level yeah okay real tiny yep um some of them look kind of like a little like four-legged thing uh-huh. kind of like a like a um tetrapod okay some of them look kind of like a donut mm-hmm and the donut ones have a little reservoir in the middle that you can put like medication or stuff okay. that you would need to li- deliver to human tissues. Right. And then each of these little nanobots is set up with enough material like protein, mm-hmm. amino acids, whatever, to function for a set number of days. Okay. So they live in you for 14 days, at which time they run out of like sustenance internally and they can't. They're not like a living creature. They right. are, but they're they're made out of living biological tissue. But they're not. They don't have a nervous system. They don't think for themselves. Right. They, they just, just exist right. in the environment, which is you, ostensibly. Yep. But really, 
but, but yeah. you know, but funny, but funny. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, they're these little, these little like doohickey things. They're like these, they kind of remind me of tardigrades. Okay. But not that sophisticated at all. Understood. Just kind sure. of like a funny little guy thing that like yeah. you get injected and then they just run around and like do the things that they're supposed to do. Gotcha. Yeah. Like repair your a, DNA. A if targeted it gets... therapy kind of thing. Right. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, super targeted yeah. therapy. And it doesn't have to be like all biology. Like it doesn't, you, the body, uh-huh. the human body is not the only context in which they're beneficial. They can also be beneficial for things like scavenging stuff from their immediate environment whether that's in your liver and mm-hmm. it's scavenging shit that you should not have in your liver like because you've been poisoned or, sure. or if it's in the ocean scavenging microplastic particles mm-hmm. and consolidating them so that they can be removed in mass like right, things like right. that so uh like super exciting yeah. oh man so exciting yeah I can't wait for the nanobots. I would like nanobots. I would like my Martian wig. Please yep. get my Martian wig ready. I need nanobots and also uh, the chips. Give me the computer chips that just replace my organs. Oh, okay. Like all the way. Yeah. That's why I bother taxing them anymore. We'll just put them out of commission and put a chip in there. Okay. And I'll be good. So artificial organs. Chip liver. Chip liver. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Um, so those are like, that's two new interesting things. That is very interesting. Wigs and nanobots. Real live nanobots. Live nanobots now. It's funny. Um, I was just going to say, well, that was a little out of context, which is funny to me because we're basically arguing that nothing is out of context. Nothing is out of context. Or no. I don't know that we're arguing that, but John Muir's kind of quote is saying that everything, it, to, to yeah. please consider the context. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think like what we're talking about here is contextualized i mean we moved from chesterton's fence to martian wigs to nanobots in like three swift moves yeah it's fine we're good we're good we're fine (laughs) i'm not i'm not actually overthinking that i'm just i'm just finding the humor in the situation (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's kind of like the six degrees of kevin bacon except ours is nanobots and wigs right and and you don't have to have real strong connections. <laughs> Those things aren't separated at all. One's inside of you. One's on your head. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just your skin. Right. It separates them. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um. Did we have I? In consideration of the context, um, I feel like we had one other thing, or did we cover kind oh, of the two? Um. Well, I was. Uh, I. I made a note here that says the important of context is that until you understand the lay of the land, you don't just start pulling down fences. Right, right. In the right. When we were talking um, about Chesterton's fence, yeah. once you actually reflect on what could be going on in yeah. any given situation, uh-huh. um, you may actually reveal things that were previously unclear to you. So doing your homework and asking questions is a good thing. Yeah. And I, um, you know, since this podcast is ostensibly about design, right. Um, (laughs) it's, it's pretty clear. I imagine most people can already make connections with the idea that context is, is a really important aspect of design. Whenever you're making anything, it's really important to put it in context. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't, it feels to be more specific. So when I'm oftentimes when I'm designing user interfaces or I'm working on software, um, context is really important, especially in like, for me, like often the context is what, what are my users attempting to do? Sure. Um, in a bigger picture, what, how are they going to be using this? Like contextually, one of the things might be a factor is how often do they do this task with my software? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that might need to make that particular feature way more way more easily accessible. It informs that context informs how I design that user interface. Yes. Um, if the one task that they have to do fifteen or twenty times a day is buried deep down in a menu somewhere and very difficult to navigate to or just basically cumbersome to operate mm-hmm. while other other tasks that they maybe do once a month are immediately available um that's a bad design yeah for their experience um they're it's going to be difficult and cumbersome for them to use which may lead to other problems like them not using it or them right. not using it as right. much and as they should or it not functioning as well as it should because it's not getting enough use or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, what oftentimes happens is when you create when when you accidentally or on purpose when you create barriers to users accessing features, um you create these other problems because users will always attempt to create the shortest path Mm -hmm. and so they may start to take shortcuts right and those shortcuts might have side effects that you weren't aware of Mm -hmm. they might find that they can enter that data into the database from a different location from somebody else's software from some other way that's less safe right um you know all of these are contexts like program in the context of programming um but that's the same problem with design product design as well Mm -hmm. um i'm trying to think of uh So, for instance, um, I remember one year at um, when I was at Oregon State, I think other universities have done this as, as well. I think one year at Oregon State, they decided that they were going to allow people to, they weren't going to repair the pathways that people were um, putting into, uh, that people would create in the, in the quad. Mm-hmm. And they were, uh, so people would, you know, people would walk across the grass in the quad or they walk in campus. They would kind of take these shortcuts across the pathways. And um, rather than, say, like putting up fences or creating other things, they decided they were just going to allow this to happen and create these like pathways that were just more organic. And um, it was kind of an interesting experiment. Uh, but is it's a perfect example where the design of the campus mm-hmm. was not... You could see where... Um, was it kind of like the design was imposed over the actual use patterns? And so, well, yeah. So if you imagine you have, um, you know, on the campus, you might have like a big open field between, or an open plaza. Yeah. And there might be areas of grass and then there's, there's sort of a nice geometric pathways. Right. Mm -hmm. So there might be like, they might meet in the middle at a fountain. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're very, they're very angles, perpendicular, per- perpendicular. Yeah, perfect they're, yeah, these perfect angles. And so, um, you can imagine then these pathways create these strange lines where someone's leaving building A in one corner and then they're kind of meandering off over to building C, which is kind of somewhere in between on the mm-hmm. adjacent side or the, you know, the opposing side. Sure. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and and what I'm getting at is that um, this is an example of of quite literal shortcuts being created yes. by users because the design of the pathways aren't efficient for what they're attempting to do, which is right. to go from class to class. Yeah, like why would you walk at all right angles if what you need to do is get to a building that's situated diagonal from where you're situated? Exactly. I mean, right. you wouldn't. And if you're, you're going it, a beeline, it, you wouldn't it, go zigzagging. Exactly. And <laughs> if your goal is to 
um, create pathways to have people enjoy the walk or maybe not go cut across the grass, but take some time walking around um, down this path, then you need to create a class schedule that allows for that amount of time. Right. You know, these are, these are all these, everything's contextual, right? Mm -hmm. You might have a situation where people are less inclined to take shortcuts just because they're not actually in a hurry. Yeah. But if you are in a hurry and you're, you're quite literally sprinting while you're shoving like a, you know, sandwich in your face as you run across the quad trying to get in, get into your next class on time, Mm -hmm. then, you know, you're going to leap over fences at some point. So even fences aren't really a good design. The bad design comes from the overall misthinking of the context of what's going on here. Um, Not to harp on campuses or even Oregon State. It was just interesting. I I think that was, um, I I think other campuses and other things have done this as well. But um, anyway, it's an interesting, interesting problem. But yeah, um, I have a, I I really enjoy things like placemaking and understanding like how people use spaces and very similar to what you're describing here like how people will people may be induced to use a space in a specific way such as you've engineered it like malls for instance Mm -hmm. if you want to get up to the third floor from the second floor your only option is to take this escalator which positions you right in front of store x when you get off at the top of the right ride right like these things are very well thought out Uh mall designs are probably terribly insidious yeah forms of casinos 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 are terrifying Mm -hmm. um but highly effective right because of the way that they're designed it fascinates me when when the design is so inept that people just work around it like it becomes an impediment as opposed to a facilitator of whatever behavior you're trying to induce by creating the environment environment in a certain way. I just, uh, I don't have anything specifically intelligent to say about that. I'm just like, I, I delight when that happens when you're like, put all this time and effort into engineering something a specific way. And then people just go right around it Yeah, yeah. (laughs) as if it wasn't there. Right. Or yeah, I think about, um, you know, one of the projects I've been working on, it's this, um, this, electronics project it's synthesizer small like Mm -hmm. pocket-sized electronics device and um i i thought about this a lot over the years where uh, manufacturers oftentimes create all these barriers to users really owning the product that they now own yeah um and i understand people get often get upset about like oh avoiding the warranty if i like even open it up or whatever but i I understand a manufacturer protecting their warranty policy because they don't want a situation where they're now, you know, you, you buy this $200 product and it's mm-hmm. been, you know, six months later, you decide to open it up, take it apart and fuck around in there. And then you break something and you're like, well, it's under warranty. You put it back together and you send it off. Right. And now they have to fix your blundering and breaking <laughs> of the thing. Right. Which is uh, why they sometimes limit what is covered under a warranty. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's exactly why you do that. And we, and so I understand that aspect of it. But yeah. the thing that I find sort of difficult is oftentimes they put these weird barriers in place to prevent, um, like it gets out of hand. Like their, their thinking is that they're going to, um, that they're going to try and prevent this thing that people are doing with their product because I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, 
some reason some reason like they're you know i'm sure the thing i the example that's coming to mind is i once really really early on i was hired to make uh, a website for this company and um i mean i was like 19 maybe or something Mm -hmm. um and they and i put the website together and they were quite happy with it but then they wanted um they wanted to really aggressively watermark the photos that they were putting on the website. Uh And I, and it wasn't, it wasn't even the watermarking that I had an issue with. They wanted to prevent users from being able to right click on the web page and do these other things that normal, like you're normally allowed to do, like view the image in whatever way you want to like to download the image and view it however you want. And I, I kind of understand their concern, but what I was trying to explain to them is that a, it's a losing battle. Yes. Because if they can display it on their monitor to see it the way you want them to see it, they're going to be able to make a then copy. They're going to be able to make a copy of it. Right. And so you need to let that go. And you and you need to basically be able to just be okay with the fact that use it this is a product that you're putting out there for free and users are going to exploit it right. in the way that they want to. Um and there's not a lot you can do about it and the more time you spend because they were spending a, they they were ready to pay me a lot of money to, to like come up with some really weird solutions. And, and this was, I, I just, I was really trying to argue really hard. I was like, you're, you're going to drive people away from mm-hmm. your website. If your goal is to have people come to your website and view your photos, then make them as accessible as possible. Right. And just understand that your photo, your photos speak for themselves. That is your product. Your products are in those photos. Sure. If someone is using them out of context, that's a separate issue. And it's also going to be very difficult to police. Yeah, you can't possibly keep up with that. Like right. if everybody who came to your website as a single source of information yeah. subsequently left with that information, then you would have, I mean, a proliferation of copies of that information. Like there's nothing you can do to track that down and, no, and reobtain. I- what are you going to do? Like, oh my gosh, this reminds me of um, that blog 27, 20, 27B-6 or whatever it's called. It's What is the, God damn it. It's a blog. We'll have to like research this okay. a little bit better. Yeah. It's from the movie Brazil. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? Like the no, the I, number. I, from, I don't know. If, there's a. I know Brazil. I don't know this blog. It's like, I'm very excited. Yeah. About this. So it's an Australian guy. Uh huh. And uh, how I was introduced to it was about a drawing of an of a seven legged spider, and this guy yeah. like. Yeah. We could probably do a whole episode just about this guy's posts. He's yeah. he's he's an agent provocateur a little bit. Like he okay. just picks logic fights with people uh-huh. because they're dumb and he can. Yeah. He's a graphic designer. Uh-huh. And he had an outstanding like chiropractic bill uh-huh. of like two hundred and some dollars or whatever, Australian yeah. dollars. Anyway, details are not super important here. The gist is he sends this email to his chiropractor and says, I I understand that I have this outstanding balance and I would like to pay you in my artwork and I've designed this art for you as payment instead of cash for the services rendered and I estimate that this artwork, judging on how long it's taken me to complete it, yeah. is worth the same amount of money if I were to charge somebody for it that uh-huh. you're charging me for my chiropractic bill. Right. And so he sends them a seven a drawing of a seven-legged spider okay and they're like of course they get into like the weird details about like but it's not a spider because it only has seven legs and he's like oh if you can just send the 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 art back to me Uh uh-huh i can fix it 
Uh-huh. And so it becomes this like protracted argument about like, well, it's it's a you emailed it to me, so you want me to email it back to you and he's like well right i can't fix it unless you give it back to me like right now you still have my art Uh uh-huh and so you have to give it back to me and like of course everybody's confused because like you it describes this exact problem like you can't give it back once you have it like it's not actually a thing yeah it's an abstract concept right of an image on the internet yeah anyway it's and it's it's um i also i I understood the context in which they, my client was arguing for these features. Sure. Um, and I, and I tried to put it in a bigger context for them, which I was successful. Eventually they realized that, um, and, and the biggest thing that I, that helped them that I, that I sold them on was that this is actually to your advantage. If people are taking these photos and using them out of context, it's fine because your products are in the photos and what you sell are, the product this product not the photos not the photos right. and if you want to sell the photos that's a different business and we can talk about that but i your your product mm-hmm. is making these things you make these widgets and you want them to get sold right and so really it's better for you if people use them if people start posting these on their post these photos on their own websites yeah. and claiming them however they want to it doesn't really harm you it helps you and they um, it's just wider exposure. It's wider exposure. And I think in the end, they felt, um, they felt good about that. Um, I think we settled on watermarking, which I was, I, I said, okay, I understand that because you want to make sure your brand is always in the photo. So even if you're, fo- yeah, cause I, they were uploading them photos themselves. I was giving them a platform where they could upload photos to their website and I wouldn't be like looking at each one or like doing anything. And so yeah. they, it would automatically put some product branding on it, which, yeah, it was fine. Um, you know, it was a middle ground. I was like, okay, yeah. I get it. Maybe you're going to upload a photo that doesn't have your product brand on it somewhere and you want to make sure it's still there. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, uh, context. That, my point was that it was about helping. Uh, uh, what solved that argument for both of us was context. I could yes. understand their context and then they could understand the context I was arguing for. Right. And then they could make an informed decision. Right. And that's what we did. That's, um, that's great. And it, it is works. great. Yeah, it is great when it works. Yeah. Um, and I, it's so easy to be so pessimistic right now about people's ability to think about things, um, in any context beyond, beyond their like immediate world. Yeah. Um, and in some ways I kind of, I can kind of relate to why people want to kind of retreat into a space that they're comfortable with and they don't have to expand their understanding or their Mm -hmm. kind of bigger context um partly because because of the kind of the onslaught that we've talked about like yeah and the being forced to take an informed position on everything right on everything Everything. all the time um and that's it's difficult it's impossible it is impossible it's impossible you can't for one reason you can't anticipate where stuff's going to pop up that you're not going to know about i mean you can't you don't know. That's why you have to ask questions. Yeah. But I think it's just a sort of insidious and kind of a, an injustice that everybody's expected now to have yeah. considered opinion. And I mean, I, this, this makes me think also of when people are like 
representatives of an entity like you know i i can't think of anything specific from the new york times but for instance the new york times or another um source of media where they have to make a claim of some kind right and then somebody says somebody will politicize a thing and be like hey uh, this whole group of people is upset that you said this thing and then a retraction or an immediate apology is issued which then inflames the other side of the argument why are you apologizing for that and it's like you can't every time that you're forced to take a considered political stance on something especially yeah you're also by definition not taking the opposite and it just in situations where your whole job is to have a considered opinion. For instance, the New York Times or other news agencies who are purporting to know something that you don't know and they're sharing it with you for your benefit. Yeah, right. Then, then you should have yeah. some. You should understand the context yes. of what it is that you're trying to contextualize for other people. But yeah, I think that makes sense for some place like that, a large news outlet. It doesn't make sense for your average person. No, and also even that, even your average person, you can you can choose to have a bigger picture you you can yeah. choose to have a stronger context of something and be like and, and get get to a point and say hey this is something i really know about um i mean oftentimes that's sort of how we choose careers and how we kind of right. become tradesmen on the things that we're working with right um it but even in the context of in your example uh major news outlets or um even someone who's writing a very particular piece um Oftentimes I think that's a a weird kind of argument that people use against people yeah. in those situations where they might pick something out that's really not strongly germane to the statement that they're making. Sure. And then use that to discount their their expertise in something by saying, "Well, I know that you're not a cook." Right. So you talking about the chemistry around this doesn't make sense because you don't cook professionally. Sure. And it's and and so it's like yes, I don't cook professionally, but I do know a lot about the enzymatic action of the skin in in tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing that I've been studying and working on. Which has some crossover appeal in cooking, but you don't have to know right. how to cook. To yeah, know and about I don't it. need to know how to cook right. to know about it. It is important. I mean, I I can say, well, yes, but I have I think this might be germane based on me looking at how this works, mm-hmm. you know, whatever I've discovered in the tomato enzymes and now, you know, <laughs> looking at the, um, you know, looking at, at cooking and saying, well, I think that this might be informative, you know, informative to the community. And, and that's a good example where generally that's received well now, I think. I mean, I think with the advent of YouTube and cooking shows and people really interesting in that, mm-hmm. in this particular example, someone who comes along and says, Hey, I just really discovered this really interesting connection and people are interested in how the science works and there's not a lot of debate there but if there were if people were very i mean some people are very opinionated about tomatoes i am and they may they may decide that well ned you you're full of shit Mm -hmm. because you don't cook how can you be an expert on this you're a terrible cook i ate your tomato sauce it tastes terrible (laughs) this is the worst tomato sauce i have ever had right so therefore your whole opinion is is debunked um, I, I, this, this is a really hand wavy, terrible, terrible, terrible <laughs> like, framing I'm, of this I'm argument. I'm trying to fall, I, I got I hung up on the enzymes. Yeah. I, what I'm trying to get at here is just that, um, I think oftentimes people kind of pick apart, yeah. um, when someone's trying to contextualize something 
and then they don't like the art. They don't like what that person they is saying. They use like a straw man fallacy. Pick, yeah, it's ad a straw man Yeah, etc. We should do like a whole series on logical Those fallacies. Are, yeah, that would be really fun. Um, I bet our audience would be super interested in that. Ad hominem attacks are always the ones that jump yeah. out at me because I'm like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? But right? they don't always seem obvious to other people, apparently. No. Like, no. you can be a terrible person and have an awful character and yeah. still be right about some shit. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's like... <laughs> I, I think that's yeah i mean that's kind of my like my love-hate relationship you can be with, right and an asshole yeah there's plenty of people that i i still appreciate no matter how much of an asshole they are it's just like <laughs> yeah but the some of the work that they've done is really worth looking at yeah regardless of how terrible they were as an individual we'll or have some to, other things yeah like done. some of that stuff is like could be on the podcast of like oh these are people we have to hate now yeah exactly because yeah. it's some dumb thing yeah. but look how much they contributed to whatever yeah uh, guess what? I have new, two more pieces of news that I oh, should share. Yes, Just please. Current eventy. Yeah. What is the so the day the the three things? Yes. One, I found out that Trent Reznor is married and has five fucking children. Oh, one of whom was like just born. That's exciting. And the kid was born on the day that he was informed that he was being uh permitted to join the ranks of people honored in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is like the third time he's been nominated, but he was you know stuffed under the couch cushions the other two times and so when they got a hold of him they were like hey you're getting into the rock and roll hall of fame he's like listen i just had a kid you'll forgive me if i'm not super excited about this because this is the third time this has happened and the last two times it didn't pan out so i have other things i need to worry about right now that's hilarious yeah yeah so that's hilarious trent reznor has children and he's finally getting into the rock and roll hall of fame along with mc5 i noticed and some other bands that i don't give a shit about uh-huh. um <laughs> also uh there's a new smartphone that is like open source oh yeah you were telling me about this there's a linux phone that's great you have to install your own operating system oh but the phone itself is only 150 dollars, and it has hardware switches to let you turn off shit like location nice so like your phone just doesn't transmit that shit anymore right and you're in control of that entirely so we're the the, the household that i live in is real close to buying one just to see how it works oh yeah and I'm, that would be great potentially make the switch away from the evil empire towards yeah more of it. but we don't want to commit to the jump until we have tested it out and seen whether we can even place calls to people what network sure. we'd be on I, yeah my my needs I, I used to have much more peculiar i still have very peculiar cell phone needs in a sense um but they've really shifted away from mm. now that i don't do as much consulting um, software development, at least at the moment. And also generally software development. I even now, like when I do have jobs, I'm not, I don't need to be doing weird things to servers from my phone or accessing things yeah. in a weird way. I really don't. Um, to be honest, I really just need text messaging and cell or voice. Yeah. That's pretty fine. much me I don't. too. Internet access is a, is a plus but i don't need it mm-hmm. and i really don't need it i used to use it more as a hotspot, but um these days there's wi-fi so many places and if i you know i'm not expected to like mm. be somewhere where there's not wi-fi and yeah um anyway uh yeah i that would be great oh sorry and the last thing the last thing is that uh spacex is launching a big rocket ship 
yeah. in a few hours. Right. And they're going to explode it on purpose. Yeah. I mean, by, by the time this is published, it will have been done. Yeah. So we'll find and so out. we'll have more news about that, too. It'll be interesting. Yeah. But yeah, this is really exciting because if what happens with this rocket in a few hours at the time of this recording from now yep. is positive and goes the way they expect it to, then the next rocket, they can put people on and shoot it into space. That's pretty fascinating. I think that's going to be amazing. So commercial space travel with humans, like human commercial space travel is like on deck. Yeah. Like today. Yeah. As of today. Yeah. Those space wigs are real important. They're, yeah, that's going to be. Luckily, we're on the case. Get in on the ground floor. Right. Yeah. Crack the case of the space wigs. Mm-hmm. Missing space wigs. Yeah. Because technically they're still missing. I wonder if there's any wigs in space at this moment. I don't think so. It's an interesting question. You would have to keep them attached to your head somehow in microgravity. Yeah. I, Maybe I, a little like wig strap. <laughs> wig strap. <laughs> wig straps. Going to write sure. that down. Yep. That's a great idea. Wig strap. Check it out. Well, I imagine, um, I mean, I think really good wigs oftentimes make use of um, some kind of skin adhesive, I think. No. Yeah, to give depends. the hairline. I mean, I'm thinking well, more you cosmetic. Have like a lace like, front, yeah. Yeah. We need, where are the people who know about this? People who wear wigs all the time. Drag queens wear real big wigs. Yes. They need some kind of anchor. Yeah. We'll have to look into this. Right. Let us know. Right. Okay. Yep, that's um, it. That's it. All right. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Yes, just consider the context. Yep, just consider the context. Oh, I don't have a... a a tip for living well in hell. Wigs. Wear a wig. Buy a wig now. That's my tip for living well in hell this week. Okay. Get wigs. Wigs and hats. <laughs> they go a long way. You can become a totally new person in a wig. I think what we need to do is we need to uh, discuss wig design on a future podcast Ooh, at some point. wig design. Yeah. Wig design. Or just wigs in the context in the context of design. I will find a way to shoehorn in shoehorn in the whole wig thing. I have a whole yeah. story about my grandmother wearing a wig. So really, my know. great grandmother wore a wig. Yeah, my grandmother didn't wear wigs typically, but she had one that she wore occasionally, and it was hilarious. My dad worked with a guy who avoided wearing a toupee or wig by growing his hair out super long and then coiling it on top of his own head and bobby pinning it in place. That's great. Uh, yeah, I the, bet it was lurid in the summertime. I bet it was just like that. Sounds really uncomfortable. Oh my god! I do really. I, Anyway, we don't need to go down into the uh, world of uh, male hair fashion. Male hair fashion. um, All right, great. We love you all. This was a good one. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye. Okay.